0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey,
2: everyone. I was happy when Jessie Bernard and I were able to record this episode because her bubbly energy was infectious from the moment that I met her. Jessie is a Haitian-American who grew up and lived in several cities in the U.S., as well as spent time in Haiti. Today, she's a marketing professional and content creator who lives in Accra, Ghana. And like some of my most recent guests, she decided and executed her move in the middle of the pandemic. In this episode, you'll hear her reflections about growing up Haitian-American and floating between the two worlds. We discuss the long-standing and challenging stereotypes about Haiti, and this leads to a greater conversation about the media depictions of black countries. She talks about living in a country where you don't have to think about being black. And she also gives some insight as to how she's been able to maintain her career and work remotely. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right. Welcome to the latest episode of the Global Chatter podcast. I am Amanda Bates, which I think most of you know me by now because you've been following us, I guess, at this point uh, since 2020 with the podcast. And as you've heard from the introduction, my guest today is Jesse Bernard, who I am thrilled to have on the show because I think we're going to talk about some of my favorite topics, which are probably up her alley um, when it comes to travel and particularly with where she's based right now and her story. And so welcome to the podcast, Jesse.
3: Thank you for having me. What you're doing is super important. I love it.
2: You know what? I'm only able to do it because I have folks like you who are willing to be part of the story. So (laughs) I take all the compliments. So, Jesse, here's the deal. Every time I start this podcast, I have to give folks context, right? And they always hear me say this. So where in the world are you currently today?
3: Today, I am in Accra, Ghana, West Africa.
2: Oh, okay. You know what? And I was telling you off air, I've been a lot of places. I have not been to Ghana yet. And so (laughs) I am excited to hear about your experiences there. And how long have you been in Ghana? Uh,
3: A little over a year now.
2: Oh, my gosh. So did you move during the pandemic? Were you one of the crazy people?
3: I was one of the people who moved during the panoramic. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK.
2: You know, what? we're going to pause that story because we're going to get there because I, I have yet to hear a sane story about why somebody moved in the middle of COVID. So I feel like yours is probably just as exciting and has probably just as many you know twists and turns as everybody else's.
3: Yeah, and it actually came after a, a very extreme heartbreak. So we'll we'll get into that. Oh
2: no! Oh no! Those might be our favorite stories. Okay, let's. <laughs> but let's back it up for a bit. Back it. No, did you say relationship? Because we we like to talk about relationships. But let's back this up for a bit. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a few places. I would say the place that I grew up most. Is in
3: Miami. I grew up in the Haitian community, so Little Haiti, North Miami, those areas, um, very Haitian population. Um, in addition to that, I moved to places like Boston. I moved to the Haitian community in Boston, the Haitian community in New York, <laughs> and I have also been in Haiti for extended periods of time. Yes.
2: <laughs> so I'm I'm gathering with that running theme that you come from an immigrant family. This
3: is true.
2: Yes. So tell me a little bit about them. Who immigrated and when did they come to what I'm assuming is the U.S.? The U.S., yes.
3: Funny enough, my family immigrated from Haiti and uh, my mom, usually people usually um, attach that to like a refugee thing. My mom was actually a saleswoman. Like she used to go to different Caribbean islands like Puerto Rico, Curacao, buy goods and then resell them in Haiti so this was Mm. when the economy wasn't so bad and actually they gave her uh like a temporary run and she was like i don't really want to stay there i think people suffer a lot there i see they just like barely have time to take care of the kids they just wake up and they're out the door (laughs) and she's like here like in haiti like i have somebody to take care of the kids i have somebody but you know as the economic situation deteriorated more that's when she realized that you know she would have to take our family and we'd have to live in miami
2: right off the bat and when it's i appreciate what you just said is that often and and i get that there was an economic reason mm-hmm. but often and i've said this before when we talk about black people moving in particular it's almost always because they're fleeing something right yes. and yeah. and i appreciate you saying look my my mom had a career right she made an economic decision yes <laughs> right but she had a career and we don't always necessarily attach that to when black folks move. Does that, does that make sense to, do you see where I'm kind of going? Yeah. I really appreciate that actually the more I think about it.
3: Yeah. It was a choice, a tough choice, but a choice.
2: Right. Right. And, and, and where did she decide to take your family first? Was it Miami?
3: Yeah. Miami is like, if anybody's been to Miami, that's like the first stop for Haitians
2: right yeah. <laughs> right right and shockingly enough i have not been it's really weird where i've been and where i've not been i have not been to miami and i think let me tell you why i think that whenever i'm flying out of a major airport in the south it's always atlanta oh. <laughs> and so i i have not spent that much time in miami and so how old were you when you moved to miami
3: okay so this is the thing i have five siblings. And the first three were born in Haiti. And when my mom was pregnant with me and my sister, both of our situations, she was like, oh my God, I don't know if I should stay here or go. I don't really want to go, da, da, da. So my mom actually gave birth to me and my sister, the two at the end, um, in Miami. And then mm-hmm. after that, she would take us uh, to and fro until we permanently stayed.
2: Got you. And so tell me about that. Like you, at a very young age, obviously you were born into a Haitian family, right? Yes. At a very young age, what was it like growing up in, I'm almost going to say a Haitian expat community, right? Because (laughs) even all those places you mentioned, you moved into, I mean, immigrant to, we will not get into the politics of that, but, (laughs) but do you know what I mean? You were, you were with folks who both had one foot in the U.S., both back in Haiti. And so what was that like, especially, I I have a second part to that because I really want to think about what was it like when you were in Haitian communities in the U.S. And then what was it like when you went to visit or stay in Haiti?
3: Okay, so let me, let's also bring some light to that. The three biggest cities where Haitians live are Miami, New York, and Boston. And I've lived in all three. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I'm going to say, I think this can be also something that other, you know, whether it's Haitian, Caribbean-American, or African from Africa, and American hyphenated (laughs) like that, like Cameroonian-American or Jamaican-American can realize is that, People like me are what are called go-betweens. Um, I saw that in the um, the museum at the Ellis Island in New York. We're go-betweens. We're go-betweens mm. between both cultures. Um, like in the the in the aspect of a Haitian, my mother didn't speak English. She still doesn't speak English well. So I'm her translator at eight years old. I'm her translator. Um, mm-hmm. When I leave the house and I go to school in America, I'm, cons- I'm expected to behave as an American. But when I return home, I'm expected mm-hmm. to behave as a Haitian. And I go between those mm-hmm. two cultures and I know how to move accordingly. And in America, mm-hmm. people address me as a Haitian. Let's say I, I tell somebody, oh, I'm American. And they are be like, no, well really, what are you? Or like they find out that my family is Haitian and I speak Creole and all this other stuff. They're like, well, why were you ashamed to say you're Haitian? I can't really sit, fully claim American. <laughs> when I go to Haiti, because my Creole now has a very American accent, they're like, well, you're American. Mm-hmm. So it becomes this, and I and, and I feel like a lot of the Caribbeans or um, people from Africa, they can also, um, you know, recognize with this too. Like, I never really have like a set place. So when I do say I'm Haitian-American, I really mm-hmm. do feel Haitian-American because I'm like halfway in between both. And I'm kind of forced to be halfway in between both.
2: Yeah, I totally got you. Like, so there's a term, and it, it's funny. So there are two terms that I think one of them definitely applies to you. And there's a second term that I'm like, it might kind of apply. So there's a term called third culture kid. And that's basically kids, you know, who cross borders, right? Of course, right? And then what's really great about the book that Dave Pollack and Ruth Van Raken wrote is that when they updated it, they include cross-cultural kids, right? Mm -hmm. And so those are the kids who, and I same similar story with me when I was in the U.S. before I moved was cameroonian home right Right. but But, american outside and what was wild about it is that in my case my parents were not of the same tribe so they didn't speak the same tribal languages to them to each other so they spoke english to each other they spoke their tribal languages to their family people right? right so in the home English was the language but then of course you and and you know very much when you're in your home the food the culture you know whatever the religious identity all of that right plays into it and then you step outside
1: yeah
2: and it's oh we're in America right yes and and it's <laughs> and it's super funny cuz i totally relate to is that when you go back to the co- the country of origin people are always like yeah but your accent though yeah. and the way you do things <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, it's like you're Haitian. I get it. it's like you're cameronian but are you really? Cause yeah, you know you like, do
3: things differently, right? And yeah, I think yeah in function between both, but neither really fully accept me. You know, so yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think then that's why. And I don't know if you found this as you were growing up. I think that's why it's easy to find community with other children and teenagers who kind of in that same space yes you know and whether and whether or not they were Haitian right they could for all you care they could have been once again Cameroonian they could have been Vietnamese they could have been whatever but do you know what I mean just those group of kids where it's like yeah all of us have a parent or two that are not from here
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Actually, like as far as dating and all that other stuff, whether it was a Jamaican or a Cameroonian, like my ex or whatever, it's much more easier for me to date one of them because they'll understand my cultural nuances much easier versus somebody who's not um, from abroad or like their family is not foreign.
2: Yeah, no, I get it. it. It seems like, okay, obviously you lived in all those different places. How often did your family travel internationally so I'm gonna say did your family go back to Haiti repeatedly or and in that did you also go to other Caribbean islands or did you even go to other parts of the world
3: no it was always Haiti and back that was it (laughs)
2: <laughs> i mean that's like many immigrant stories i didn't know you could have been like let's hop over to puerto rico okay <laughs> and so how long would you say in haiti are are these short trips or did you ever have a period where you just went back and lived yeah
3: like i just had extended like you know like very long periods because i had one one of the issues that i had was like leaving like my grandfather and all that other, it, mostly it was like too much for me and then they were like I think we should just like leave her. <laughs> so so um, oh. <laughs> that type of thing. And like for me, um, I always felt more at ease in Haiti. Haiti actually changed my
2: life mm. in a very good way. Tell me more. So tell me more.
3: For the first time going back to Haiti, and this was a long period that I hadn't gone and I didn't even have any memory of Haiti. Um at that point I remember the kids, they were so mean. They were saying stuff like, you know, like kinda like how Africans get teased for like cuts and stuff like that. We also get the same thing. Patients get the same thing. Yeah. Um, we're like the anomaly yeah. anam- the strange one anomaly. Oh, the word was escaping me. Um, yeah. um, of the Caribbean. Um and our development is more and more so like, you know, that you would see in Africa. And our culture is different also as well, because we didn't have Western interference for almost for pretty much our whole existence almost. (sighs) Yeah. So when I would hear what the kids would say, and then when I went back to Haiti and I realized that contrary to what you always see on TV, it's not all like that. That's the the danger of a single narrative. Like I want to point it out and make it very clear to anybody who's hearing this, listen, welcome close. I'm not telling you what you see on TV is not true, (laughs) but what I'm telling you is that it's not the complete story. Yeah. When I went, yeah. I was like, "Oh my God!" So like, okay, there's not like, because they would tell us the Huts thing too, and I'm like, you know, and you would see like mansions and all kinds <laughs> <would see>, <laughs> of things, like you. Right? Know what I mean? So like, I was like, okay, and I'm and I could live, and I saw the beautiful beaches, and because like the way that they they train your mind to see a place like Katie, it's like the beach shoreline stops at DR, and then God is like, no, there shall not be no beach that will cross this border and (laughs) it really isn't like that and it's so crazy and like you know and like I just and you know even if you would tell people like they wouldn't believe you or anything like that just because of the images they see which I guess you know I understand or whatever um but you know in, in in the way that Haiti always opened my eyes and always made me feel welcome and I didn't have to deal with the whole minority stuff and all that other stuff like I felt a level of comfort and one of the things that Haiti also taught me when I when I realized that, OK, these things were all a lie, I started to do research and read and try to understand what happened. And as I started going through it and going through it, and this is how it connects to Africa, I realized, um, you know, like they were talking about uh, a lot of the freedom fighters who won our independence. And there, a lot of them were people who were fresh from Africa, like they knew they were born in places like Benin or Senegal. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, let me go check out these countries where we originate from too. And as I started to read their histories too, and I started to know about the the great kingdoms that were here in Africa and stuff like that, I realized what they said about Africa was a lie. What they said about Haiti was a lie. The whole everything that I knew about my existence was a lie. And after that, I realized that I wasn't yeah. afraid to travel within Africa anymore.
2: Mm. What you said is incredibly powerful because as someone who's grown up in West Africa and there are narratives and they are hardcore push narratives. Right. And I imagine it's the same thing with Haiti, right? Because here's the thing. Every time we see stories of these places, it is always a moment of despair. Yes. And it's never stories about something that has happened. Right. Because I, let's be honest, if I look at American media right now, Haiti right now isn't in the news unless there is a natural disaster, yes, a political upheaval or unrest, right right right, or a health crisis mm-hmm. yeah. I can't ever think of a time when anything I've seen related to haiti and i'm a I'm a voracious reader of i hope you use that the right word <laughs> anyway whatever of 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 news and and I follow what's going on on the planet as best as I can. And there's never any like this amazing thing that happened. And so one, we all, you're right. There's always that single story that I I know where that um, TED talk came from, but also the fact that when you think about, particularly as black and brown people in certain places, we also absorb that because that's the story that we're told. Yes. And then when we come across those folks in our spaces, it's odd that there can be so much disparaging comments made because there's such a belief that, well, you all, y'all aren't developed. (laughs) Y'all, you know, y'all don't have X, Y, and Z. And so, oh, it totally resonates as a kid who grew up in Africa. (laughs) I'm sitting here like, yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. But you know, at least now Africa's getting (laughs) a little, you know, a little something, something
3: Haiti is So yeah, no, that's
2: true. It, It is. Yeah, you're right. right. But at the
3: end <laughs> of the Africa, is getting a little something. It's, it's getting a little something, right? But like at the end of the day, like Haiti is like the only one in the Caribbean. Now that should ring a bell to yourselves that like obviously something is <laughs> systematically wrong if it's the only place in the Caribbean. But also too like that 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 thing of we having to learn to stand on our own. Unfortunately, I think that's also a great source of my strength. So being Haitian, going to Haiti. It has made me who I am in my entirety, and I'm very grateful for it.
2: And you know what? You also said something else that has always stuck out to me, and I don't think if you haven't had this experience, it doesn't quite click, but I've heard this from other folks from the Caribbean who particularly had a Caribbean identity and American identity. And you, you said it in passing, but I was I'm going to pull that thread. Okay. And that was when you went to Haiti, you didn't have to worry about being a minority.
3: Yeah, just like here in West Africa. And well. yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> and I'm just saying, if you've never had that experience, <laughs> huh. it can be kind of, it's kind of amazing
3: when you do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. It is not at the fort. Race is not. The, you know, so crazy in America, I hear about, oh, you guys, it's all about race. I don't even want it to be about race, but kind of race is kind of like shoved in your throat in a way. Right. (laughs) But like here, like nobody even thinks about it. Now, with with me and my aspect of being real, I want to say that not all racial issues are expunged here, like just like in Haiti or the Caribbean or any place in Africa, things like colorism and all those things exist. However, however, you don't even think that you're black most of the time.
2: No. You know why? Because I I said this to someone the other day and they looked at me like I was crazy, but then they realized and said, oh, what you're saying makes sense. And this is what I said. When you're in a predominantly black country, all the media for the most part is black. (laughs) Right. A lot of the ads are black. A lot of the billboards have black people. The The president and the leadership (laughs) is black. And the person looked at me, they were a black person and they were like, Wait, I was like, yeah. So you don't think about being black? I mean, you have to put that in the context, especially when we talk about I hate these like diaspora, diasporic wars that happen right on social media I where hate it. you know <laughs> I hate them, where people start pitting against each other. And I said, But here's the thing you have to understand when people are growing up and living and immersed in a predominantly black country. They don't actually think about their race because <laughs> they don't actually practically need to. No, they don't. <laughs> and here's and I said, here's the thing. That applies to any racial group, though. Group. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not unique to black people, right? If you are in Southeast Asia and everyone around you, for example, is for the most part Chinese, right? Now I know there are a ton of ethnic groups, right? But they, they are Chinese, right? You are not thinking about being Chinese because yes. everyone's Chinese, right? But it, it just blew this person's mind. that I was like, we don't think about race, which is why the conversations you have about race can look very different for immigrants oh, yes. because they haven't had to think think about it in the same way
3: this is one of the reasons why i actually decided to move um into ghana like i actually wanted to move to haiti but because holistically the country obviously is not in a position for me to live in it yet like i can live visit the northern part which is relatively safe but i want something that is holistically safe right now and um you know i was like i was telling my therapist because i was in therapy for a year that's a whole nother story And it has to do with traveling, race, Africa. That's a whole nother story. And um, one of the things I was telling my therapist was that I was tired of microaggressions. I was tired of that stuff. You know, I actually actually came to vacation here in Ghana while I was working before, not vacation, but I just came to check, make sure everything checked out like how I wanted it. And it, it would be like how I thought, at least for the most part. And I was telling my coworkers like, oh, um I'm in Ghana I was taking a remote call from them and then they were like is the internet gonna work like I don't know if they really have internet like that over there and I was like oh they only said that to me because i have been in, in West Africa because if I was in Paris I
2: guarantee you they wouldn't say that now- and by the way we got parts of America that definitely don't have broadband yeah. <laughs> like for, don't even get me started like I just saw a whole study about where fast and available internet is like in this country and trust and believe it's not everywhere. Anyway, no, this is your story. I'm, Carry on.
3: <laughs> listen, I'm not going to pretend and act like there's this, there's not issues. Sometimes there is, but for the most part, I can actually get it to be 5g. And, um, you know, I just, some of the stuff that they say and some of the stuff, even like with stuff like where they want to touch your hair and like, nobody cares about that because everybody here have the same hair. You understand what I'm saying? Right. These people are black, yeah, like <laughs> nobody's fascinating, they don't care or anything like that. Like, so those are some of the my daily things where I'm like, Oh, that's a blessing, I don't have to deal with that nonsense, you know what I'm saying? So,
2: right, and and real talk sometimes I'm the one with the janky internet, and I'm in the US because I've had talked to my cousins in Cameroon. And they're like, why is your internet freezing? And I'm like, "You are in... <laughs> why do you have better internet than I do? And they're like, because we have better internet. And I said, you know what? Let me not be out here with some assumptions because you're not in the States. And so, you know what? And you've already kind of touched on this. So I, at what point- as an adult, or at what point did you start doing international travel? I mean, we talked about you going back and forth to Haiti, but at what point did you start to go to other places in the world? Okay.
3: (laughs) So yes, we've touched on that. (laughs) Haiti has been one of the reasons that my mind has been open and I haven't been afraid. So after that, I started actually more so in 2014. In 2014, I moved to South Africa.
2: Okay, what were you doing before you up to move to South Africa?
3: <laughs>
2: like, what were you okay, doing? Okay,
3: so I actually, I was in college. I studied, and I guess that's an important aspect of me. I studied international relations.
2: Gotcha, makes sense. But
3: I studied <laughs> international relations because, like I said, again, Haiti. I actually wanted to understand NGOs and work for an NGO. Like, my mindset has totally changed, but I thought that they were the good guys initially, yeah. for the most part. And um, so I went to South Africa. I I actually, I've been an expert. Now, this is my third time. So I went to South Africa twice. Mm-hmm. So South Africa, the first time I went to Johannesburg, where I started working for an NGO. My, the owner of the NGO was actually like a very high level official in the UN. And mm-hmm. um, from there, I realized, I started to realize that NGOs aren't what they really are. But anyways, I, I was, it's a long uh, another long story. I'll go back to part two of South Africa where I started to work in the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. I went back to uh, South Africa and moved to a village that was closest, not too far from Zimbabwe, in the northern area. So it was like mm-hmm. really, really rural, very different from what people usually per, um, picture South Africa to be. You know, because South Africa has some really big disparities. Um, so I, I went yeah. to the I went to the village. That was one of my heartbreaking stories. So I actually had a, a heartbreaking story as far as relationship before coming here. And I had a, a career general life crisis uh, before coming here as well. And I read a lot. I studied apartheid. I studied dance. That, like I said, I'm classically trained in international relations. So I know a lot about cross-cultural management. And when I went into the Peace Corps, I first went to a house, the training house, where we stayed for like a first couple of months or a few weeks. And I had a really good relationship with my host mother. Everything was great. I was doing well and all the other stuff. Then I had got transferred to my permanent site um, with another family. And um, it was a mom with like five daughters. And they were like apparently like the chiefs of the village. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I moved. It might actually be hard for me to talk about this. I moved into my permanent site with them. And I thought it was going to be great because the mom, she looked younger younger than the, my first sight mother. And, um, you know, you know, I thought it just was going to be great. Long story short. Um, I ended up being the most depressed, the most heartbroken in my life there. The mother there, it's like, she didn't like me. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't understand why. And there was a, I had a fellow volunteer who was like maybe 10 minutes away from me, um, in the next village. And she was white. And, um, you know, we both were being teachers in the school And, uh, one, apparently her principal at a training, he, that we, me, all four of us were at, um, he pulled her aside and told her that he was glad that she, he got a white volunteer and didn't get a black one. Mm. So Mm. I, I started to realize a lot. What color
2: was the principal? Black.
3: But that's what I'm telling you, Mm. Amanda, like, Are even, but then again, I want to say I want to point out South Africa in particular is a special mindset as well because they still have suffered from apartheid.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: But colorism and all those things still exist in general. And they trained us; they told us that that could happen. And you know, like a lot of the volunteers, I would see them in our group chats. They were their families were taking them places. They were showing them off, going to weddings and all this other stuff. And I really wanted to go to a wedding. And I told my whole family that. And actually, one day I got up and I saw them all dressed. And they were going to a wedding. And I was like, oh, why didn't you guys tell me this? And it was like they said something like, oh, oh, we didn't know you want to go. Well, I was like, I told you. And then I was like, oh, well, we don't got room in the car. And then they left with one seat empty. Mm. So, like, wow. it was just like a lot of different things. I, I don't even want to go too deep into that. I spent like a year into therapy trying to understand um, what had happened there and a lot of stuff like that. But I ended up... Um, leaving the Peace Corps, uh, like, right before COVID started. So in February uh, 2020 Mm -hmm. or something like that. But that was, like, my most heartbreaking experience. And when I got back home, everybody was, like, don't go abroad again. And then a lot of people were saying, oh, it's because it was Africa in general. And I was like, no, I think it was a special case in that in that aspect, the, the where I was and things like that. And I was like, but still, regardless of what had happened to me there, because I, I told them, I'm like, you can open the news today and you'll see that South Africa is still having racial issues. I mean, what happened to them was like, what, 30 years ago, apartheid ended. So that's natural. What's happening to yeah. them is natural. Um, and I'll say that for any Black American or any Black person who's not in Africa, if you are moving because of racial issues, you may want to holistically think moving to South Africa because they are still having racial issues within themselves at this moment.
2: Okay, everyone, let's be honest here. Whether you are living abroad or at home, having a financial plan is vital to charting your financial future. I know that some of us really don't like talking about money because it can be overwhelming, which is why you may want to consider speaking with the professionals at Smith Brewer Advisors. From retirement to investment management and estate and tax planning, an experienced financial advisor at Smith Brewer Advisors will help you create a plan to meet your financial goals. And what's awesome? They empower their clients to make the right decisions for their individual situation. To learn more about working with a fiduciary financial advisor, visit smithbreweradvisors.com. Proud sponsors of the Global Chatter podcast. Smith Brewer Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. All right. So if you're joining us after the break, you definitely heard Jesse talk about kind of the challenging experience she had in South Africa. And even with that, though, it has not deterred her on living on the on the African continent. And so, Jesse, my question for you was, what then made you decide to come back to the continent of Africa? In particular, how did you end up choosing to live in Ghana?
3: Fun fact, I actually wanted to go to Ghana first. So one, the, a few of the factors that ended, ended up making me not go to Ghana first was like, okay, I couldn't find uh, the Peace Corps contract that I was trying to go through with Ghana would have me waiting like a year. And I was like, oh, I don't want to wait a year. I want to go now, 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 now. So that's why I ended up going to South Africa. But funny enough, remember how I said I studied international relations? So I had an international business class and a cross-cultural uh, management class, and they both required me to do uh, like cross analysis between the US or another country and another country. And most of the people in my class, which I was probably like three or four there's three or four black girls in there, um, and we all actually made a group and um, everybody picked some European country or like Japan or something like that. and I was like no. I want to do Africa. I want to do Africa. So good for you. Um, good yeah, for you. and This was like well before like the year of return. Cause like now Ghana's starting to get popular, but this was like before people could even point, even knew where it was. So this was probably like 2013. And I was like, okay, I got to go find a country. And I started, I was like, give me stats. I need stats. I need numbers. And I was like, okay, let's look at crime rate. Let's look at health. Let's look at, you know, all those type of statistics that you actually need to live, live somewhere. Not TikToks only, but like actual numbers. And I was like, okay. When I looked, and I was like, I need an English-speaking country because even though I am familiar with Francophone being Haitian, I'm more so in the Anglophone area because I've studied more so in in America. And um, when I looked at, you know, when I I think I typed in safest countries in Africa, Ghana was one of the options. So then when I went to it, I just kept going down the stats. Going, I was like, okay. And then business looks like it's stable there. They don't really have coup d'etats. Okay, all right, this is where I need to go. And um, I, I presented it and people were like really blown away. Like they were like, this is this is like some place in Africa. I was like, yes, this is some place in Africa. It's safer than some of the places in, in America, <laughs> in some places in Europe. Yeah, it's very, it's quite safe. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, you know, after I did a, a couple of presentations on Ghana, I was like, well, you know, maybe I should go and do business in Ghana. But let me be honest mm. with you, at the time, it wasn't no TikTok and it was it was still very little information yeah. around 2013. Yeah. So, um, you know, at that point, you know, I one one. It, the Peace Corps thing was one thing. But the reason why I decided to do the Peace Corps, because I felt it was more safe because I would have housing and stuff like that. I I wasn't. Yeah bold enough in myself, even though I studied cross-cultural business and international and all that other stuff, I wasn't confident in myself to go and make my own business. And it's funny enough, after all that I went through, and I even went through the Peace Corps and, and shed tears and went through one of the most mentally horrific um, times in my life, that I'm actually going back to it now. So that's how it met up here. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So walk me through it. So you did your Peace Corps experience, but it got COVID was also in part of it. Right. <laughs> and then did you was it Peace Corps that took you back, that took you to Ghana? Or was it that you said, look, I'm just going to go myself because I'm going to build a business there.
3: I'm going to I went by myself. Like, OK, so remember, I did two legs in 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 this this is my third attempt. I did two separate attempts <laughs> in South Africa. I got to talk. And people said I was mad. People said I was crazy. People are like, if you go back there again, that's your business. And I was like, but you know, it's a different country. And this is where I actually right. went to, to originally. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to go because I'm not happy here. And I don't want to stay here. This is it, It's do or die. And I'm going to die trying. And you know, you know what I'm saying. And I don't. And you know, Europe is cool. Europe is cool. Asia is cool. But a lot yeah. of the times, I hear Black expats, and they suffer those same microaggressions in those places too. So I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. I want a place where I can come and I feel welcome, and I don't. You know what I'm saying? And I don't get me wrong. There is, there is. And I'm gonna start to talk more about it in my TikTok. There's a delicate balance between the diaspora and Africa. Although I feel like Ghana is probably the best place. And that's one of the reasons that I fell in love with it again through the research when I was reading Kwame Nkrumah. So, you know, um, you know like i told you i was in me learning originally haitian history and learning about toussaint which was our you know the person who brought us yeah. to the freedom and finding out about characters like Kwame and kruma and toure and all those people like i read a, i read a lot about them and i loved his vision as a pan africanist and you know as a haitian like you know um where yeah. we had so many different people from different tribes and different countries come together in haiti and still overtake one of the world's most powerful um, colonial powers and keep them out of haiti i am a very serious pan-africanist and when i saw his vision i was like huh you're talking to the right person <laughs> you know?
2: and so no and, and yeah no i got you and <laughs> and i find that with a lot of people of color and actually let me back this up with a lot of black folks right there is a lot of there is a heritage and a history seeking right that as part of their moving experience often, right? There's a very, and it's not everyone, but for a number of people I've had a privilege to talk to, that has been their backstory. And I remember telling folks, you know, back when I worked in ed, when you look at study abroad, interestingly enough, when you look at study abroad, particularly with black students, they most often wanted to go to the areas where it was predominantly black because there is a history There is a story, right? That they are connected to, which oftentimes their schools didn't even offer study abroad to those places. (laughs) Because, but for them, they really wanted to go to the Africas, right? They wanted to go to part of the Caribbean. They wanted to go to these communities and, and get more of that. So your story just gels completely with that. And so my question for you then is. You know, and it's funny because Ghana was the original place and it's almost like that's where you kind of should. <laughs> in one hand, it's like that's where you should have gone. It would have been great if that was the first place you could have gone to. Right. But, at the, uh, but on the other hand, I think it, it does show that you were committed to it because even in having challenging experiences in a different part of the continent didn't deter you from the continent, which I think shows clearly the level of commitment you had to that. And so my question for you now is, okay, you've decided and you, you know, you've moved to Ghana, how, and you moved on your own. So there's no sending agency. It's not Peace Corps. It's not for school no. or whatever. How did you decide or determine that you were going to be able to financially support yourself?
3: Okay. And I want to make this <laughs> I wanna say this so that people can hear this. That I was actually gonna talk more about it on my TikToks as well. Um, so what I did was I and I used some of my savings. That was one. Cause one thing also too, um like especially Ghana, and I see this as a, a common trend in um Africa is that cash yeah. is keen. Of course. Um and so I used some of my savings, but guess what? I kept ro- working remotely.
2: Okay. Say more. But
3: guess what, Amanda? And that's why I'm saying like today is a big transition for me. Today is my last day of working remotely.
2: (laughs) Okay, because we have great timing. What was your uh, What was your career? What were you doing, or what have you been doing remotely?
3: Okay, so Amanda, this is going to go into (laughs) exactly what I'm doing now in Ghana. So I've worked in travel for like several years, but I've actually Mm -hmm. been doing marketing remotely. Um. So, um, for college back in Miami, uh, they actually don't even really know I'm here. But I did not care.
2: (laughs) By the well, by the by the time this airs, you would have completely separated, so it doesn't. Oh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh! Okay, so you've been working. Wait, I mean, you're not the first one I've heard. So you've been working remotely for for a for a entity. In and so you haven't had to be in the office, correct?
3: Oh yeah, no. I already had my excuses ready and if they had to tell me to come in, I already knew I had to make I had made my plan. I was like, if if they if anything, I'll give them their two weeks and use some sick days and then I'll be gone. But I was like, (laughs) I I was like, there's nothing that can keep me here again. Like I literally just I literally just had my like a year between me and South Africa, I spent a year in therapy, I healed. And then I was like, "Mm, gotta gear up, gotta go again.
2: Wow. Okay. Mm -mm. So, I mean, so realistically you, you had a job that you were working remotely. That's fine. That's not weird. Whatever people do that. And then, but you're at this turning point and tell us about this turning point. What did you decide to do?
3: So I decided to um, go into, like I say, travel, which um, is my expertise. I've been doing that. I've been working in the airlines. I worked initially in Air Canada and in American Airlines, and I've been doing that for several years. And in particular, I was mm. working in the first class or the and VV, the VVIP area, which is called Concierge Key. Um, I mm-hmm. did that for several years. I was good at it. However, I just felt like it wasn't my place. And I feel like God showed me, I knew that before, but God definitely gave me some examples while I was there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just really wanted to create something for us, by us, um, and just kind of like, change a little bit of narratives like you know like when people want to go to Lud's places they want to go to paris and and stuff like that but i feel like you can start to say let's go to senegal i feel like you can start to say let's go to Namibia. i feel like you can start to say let's go to ghana i feel like that these things exist and i feel like better than aid this is what's going to help um Mm. a lot of these uh countries to come up um, and a lot of unity between us. Like I say, I'm a Pan-Africanist. You know what I'm saying? Um, just by yeah. going to these places and exploring. I don't want you to feel like because you want to do big things and, and, you know, fancy things that you have to go engage somebody at the Eiffel Tower. You don't have to do that there. You can do that in these places. And I want to um, start to curate things and show people that they can do that. Africa, because a lot of times I feel like anywhere in Africa, they always have to show it like, oh, you're doing something like off the grid, roughing it type stuff. You got to wrap your right here. And it don't gotta be, if you want that, that's cool, you know? But um, if you want to do something that's, you know, upscale and classy, you can do that here too.
2: I love it. And, and so I'm hearing from you that your brand is really focusing on probably African travel. Although I imagine depending on how, you decide to position and pivot. Maybe you might even include the Caribbean um, in the future, Maybe if yes, it doesn't I'm already. Waiting. I'm waiting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, no. And I and this is why I love when people come into this space because they are trying to show something different. And, and the fact that you live in Ghana too, right? Like you're like, this is my daily reality. And so I wanna show you you know, what many of these countries have to offer. And so is your brand now looking at, you know, full traveling services, group tours, like what kind of offerings are you thinking or what or what have you been doing?
3: So because I worked in Concierge Key, which was like a tailor-made type of thing, like we had clients like Trump or Dwayne Wade and Jennifer Lopez and those things like that. Um, I was exposed to how to get people from, the, the minute they touch the airport or right before they touch the airport to their destination back without a hitch and with class and quality. And um, I, I don't think maybe, maybe tourism, I really, I, I want something that's very personal And I also want something that is, you know, like I said, for in in the more so for black people. I'm not going to say that. Oh, nobody. I'm going to block anybody for it. But I want to create that safe space because I know how many times I've been in an uh, unsafe space um, in regards to that. Um, One thing is that although I feel like looks could sometimes be a little bit toxic because people be faking it. Um, <laughs> um nice. if you want to spend your money and enjoy your money in that aspect, I feel like it should be a company, which would be mine that could, you know, you know, accommodate you that you won't, you, you won't feel like, Oh, are these people going to feel some kind of way? Are they going to think that I can't afford something or this, that, no. I think you should be treated like royalty. I think you deserve it. as You know what I'm saying? If As long as yeah. within the budget, whatever. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm ready to accommodate that. And I want to change the narrative about how Africa in general and Haiti, I said it, and Haiti, the the unlikeliest <laughs> of places. And,
2: and Haiti. I said what <laughs> I, I said. You. I said what I said. <laughs>
3: Um and I because I think most of the Caribbean, they already have that narrative, but my place in particular needs help in that aspect. right. It, it needs
2: no, it needs that help. And and so here's what here's what's really funny. I was telling you off the air how um I was looking at your TikTok, and one of the things that I really liked about your TikToks was that you try to give a realistic picture. Um, and as someone who lives in Ghana, right? Because as we were talking, you know, for those who don't know, this was like, COVID feels like it's lasted 10 years, but but (laughs) right before COVID was the return to Africa, right? It's like travel just (laughs) paused, right? Totally paused. And I mean, you know, I told you earlier, like earlier, you know, I had gone to the Caribbean at the beginning of this year and then I went back and I think that was my first, it was my first international flight since the pandemic and i almost cried because got an email or a note from delta and they were like we've missed you welcome back <laughs> <that's like> delta. <laughs> and i was like oh my god i haven't been able to go anywhere because of this pandemic <laughs> and so um but you know prior to the COVID situation you know COVID situation there was the whole return to africa and i know that that's what put ghana and parts of Africa on the map for particularly Black Westerners who didn't have an immediate tie. And so one of the things that I mentioned that I liked about your TikToks was that you try to keep it real, right? And so what are the things that you find? Because I know you are in these media streets, especially if you're in marketing, because I'm in these media streets too, <laughs> that when we see the TikToks and we see the Twitters and we see the Instagrams um, that you think that there's a little bit of fronting on, but that's not the reality day to day when you are in some of these countries. Uh, where do I start? <laughs> right. Okay.
3: So first of all, you know, I, of course I talk to Ghanaians, and anyways, you know, like I said, I've been tracking Ghana since thir- 2013. And before then, most people couldn't really point out Ghana on a map. And now all of a sudden everybody's coming and that's fine. That's fair. You know, I've, Talk to um, expect communities, locals, and I guess by hook or crook, as long as they come in, they see great, fantastic, their minds are changed, it's blown in a great way. However, 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 I personally, let me say it I, as a, I'm not gonna name, but I can imagine how they feel in some aspects too. They like it, but at the same time, too, it's kind of like dang, that's kind of a little fake too, because five years ago, nobody wouldn't even come, and then it took TikTok and all that other stuff to show them, like, okay, well, they. They have a pretty right. nice place as well. You know what I'm saying, and it shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take right. that. If you're really interested, you look up a place, you see if it work for you, and you go. It don't have to be TikTok. But now let me say another thing about TikTok, Instagram, all those stuff like that. And I try and I try to point this out to people who even watch me on social media because I have really great times here, flawless times here. But that don't mean that I don't have struggles and that don't mean i don't have tears and i don't have times where i'm like oh my god you know what i'm saying like that's the thing about social media that's dangerous is that it once again we're going back to the single narrative thing you know how i was pushing a single narrative on africa that it was all war and famine and all that other stuff now it's pushing like like in a place in ghana it's pushing like oh it's only joy and that's not the case it's full of enjoyment don't get me wrong i love it this is my poem and i actually don't really want to I don't really see myself trying to separate myself in the future, but I would be amiss to tell my brothers and sisters, whether you're Caribbean or you're American of of African descent, that it's all like daffodils and sunrises. That's a lie. Number one, just like you have said with um, Dr. Cox and another thing like that toxic positivity thing. Yeah. They're doing that with Ghana. like A lot of them are coming for what they call Duddy December, where they go and they drink and they're pouring champagnes on watches and doing all types of stuff, so mm. they don't really know what it's like to really, really live here. December is when all the diaspora come, everybody's, there's money circulating, the street is hot, there's activity after activity, but that's not how it is all the time. And right. when and people like it's like you know like I, I hate to have to say those things but it's true people have to explain to them like that is just not how it is like i was explaining in one of my tiktok videos is that i live in like one of the more expensive neighborhoods around in um accra and mm-hmm. um i have water sh- and i pay for water and i have water shortage sometimes i won't have water yeah. one or two days
2: right you know? that's real um,
3: i that's have electricity real. shortages so if you like i want to tell people that not to discourage you from coming to ghana but like if you want to come know that you're going to need a generator if you don't want any hitches you understand right? what I'm saying? that's it it's not to you know what i'm saying and you have to be careful too because one problem also let me say with tiktok and all those things like that is that you do have some of the diaspora they come and they talk so badly and it's like they never been anywhere but you have to know sweetie that it's a developing country. Nobody told you that you was going to have the same infrastructure that you was going to have in America or if you was in London.
2: Right. You, right. You
3: so you just have to find out where those issues are and you're going to have to learn how to pivot at when those issues come. If you can't, you got to stay where you at.
2: <laughs> I love the way you said it. <laughs> or you can stay where you're at. No, and you know what? Simple. I have found the people who tend to have the easiest time are people who have grown up or who have either grown up or have some kind of familial tie to a developing country, right? So, or they have traveled extensively already in those kind of environments and it don't phase them, right? So you're talking and I'm like, I'll tell you this, as a kid, we had water outages, we had electricity outages, right? Cool. Grew up as a kid as that. Just this summer. I've been to a lot of places, but I'll I'll just pick on DR because I was in DR this summer or this past summer. We we had we didn't have water outages, but there were times the power just straight went out and it was hot. It was like dead summer. Like (laughs) it was hot, hot and then hot. Right. Which meant (laughs) the fan or the AC, if you had it, was not on. Right. And I remember laying there being like, if this ain't like being in Cameroon <laughs> back in the day. And I was <laughs> like, it's all good. I'm going to crack open the window and just hope for the best because it is hot here at 2 a.m. So you, see, you are right. Amanda, some people don't
3: have those experiences. And then when they get to a place, they act like somebody did false advertising and then they just show them green passion, which it kind of is like that on social media, but it's not up to them. You actually got to go and do your research. Yes. And you thank you. Yourself and be like, oh, can I really deal with? Oh, they turn off the lights until tomorrow. Like, thank I, you. You know what I'm saying? And like, like you're saying, you I, me as a Haitian person, I know those things. Me, I know, I know exactly <laughs> what it's like to go take a bath with a buck. I know those things. I can't pretend yes. I, I didn't know that. I didn't <laughs> drink sachet water. I didn't see ladies carrying things on their head. I know all of these things from where I came from. So I'm not gonna come here and act brand new.
2: Right, <laughs> right. And that's the thing. I, it is, you have just hit the the nail on the head and it is no matter where you're going. And it doesn't matter whether it is a quote unquote developed country or an emerging developing country. You need to do your research because you're right. Social media will give you one portion and one side of the story. And, and the, the problem with that is because and it could be good or bad, right? Because I love me a good TikTok. So I'm not going to lie. I spend a lot of time on TikTok. I don't make me TikToks, too. but I'm always on TikTok, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there and especially travel TikTokers. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> like I will I will see what people, especially when they're like places I would never go to as, or I would go to as, or, you know, their experiences yeah, in this traveling. random country. Yeah. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking, here's the problem. Um, and people are entitled to have their experiences. I am not even yeah. mad at that. Right. If, yeah. especially if you had a bad experience, you, that is yours. I am not taking that autonomy away. I think the challenge is your audience because mm-hmm. your audience didn't have that experience. And, and also we don't know you. I mean, there are people that I know well. And so when they do say things, I'm like, I can respect their voice on that. But especially when you don't know the nuances of the experience, it can just come across as it's the whole country or whatever. And not taking into the fact we don't know what you may or may not did. We do not know. You don't know the language. We don't know how much you know the culture. We don't know what day you showed up on. (laughs) Like, we don't we don't know anything. And I get so nervous that we sometimes disparage because I saw a country on there that I actually very much like. Someone did a story. And they were like, this is why I would never go back there. And I'm like, because you did no research about the people at all.
3: It happens. And it then, happens. And that's the thing. That's the, the thing about social media that's kind of like scary. And like I said, don't get me wrong. because I, and, I, and I'm so scared about coming off to people like, I have really good times and, you know, really enjoyable times in Ghana and, you know, within the pan-African world as itself. But, you know, there's other day-to-day stuff that you have to understand that happens, you know? And I don't want, yeah. to, and I'm so scared. I don't want to sell you a dream, like. And that's another thing, like about my tours and stuff like that. If you, you should know yourself. If you know that you're not about that, that's great. Just come and have a great time, and then go back. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> don't bother <Right>. these people,
2: <laughs> right? You don't bother these people at all. Because <laughs> you know, you gotta know the re- the re- to be on the receiving end too. And I, I am so sensitive, and it does not matter the country in the world. I try to be sensitive to the fact that I'm having an experience, but these people live there. Yes. And
3: often it's not I mean, the same carry trillion. It's never the same. It's Why would it be the same? It's <laughs> like, the same. And like like you're saying, like me being Haitian, I'm so sensitive. I'm so sensitive. I, I, I know what it feels like to be on the negative receiving end. You know what I'm saying? That's it. And that's I... It. I do. I will not talk poorly about these people. I want to say what my true experience is, so that it can save like people who know themselves and shouldn't. People who shouldn't be trying to move to certain places like this and save the drama for the locals and themselves. But at the same time, too, you know, like I don't, I, I don't want to like talk negative. Do it in a negative, uh, very um, connotation because I know how it feels like to have that push down your throat, and it's not
2: right. Absolutely and and that's the thing you know what it's like to be from somewhere where there's constantly negativity and i about your place and i mm-hmm. i feel that if others thought about think about what it'd feel like if someone showed up to your hometown that you like and just said which said the stuff that people say callously yeah. because they don't have an they don't have an emotional attachment to that place
3: yeah yeah they have no once idea. you do yeah, yeah. It's just, it's not right, and you, and a lot of them, they be in here for like two seconds, and then they, you know, and it, it shows, like, right. I, I don't know if you came to study yourself in December. I don't know if you came to chase, man. I don't know what you came here for, but you just got to respect <laughs> yourself. You
2: know what I'm saying? They okay. came. I mean, let's People came to flash for for the talk and for the gram. I yeah. mean, let's let's keep it real. Let's keep it real for social media, and and so I think that this is why I think it's refreshing that you are out. And I think this is why it's refreshing. You do have your TikToks and I know that you're, you know, when your your brand is that you are working towards the balanced perspective, especially as someone who's, who's living. And, and I, I know you would recognize that, yes, you also live in an area that the average Ghanaian doesn't live in, but at sure. least someone who is living in the country and, and is, and knows kind of the nuances of being in a developed, Country, I think that that's why your voice is important. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's absolutely important. And so, you know, I always like to ask this: as, you know, as we wrap up with our episode, uh, what do you see coming down the pipeline for you and your business? What do you what do you see next on the horizon?
3: So, um, I actually have it trying to be like multifaceted. <laughs> so, I have, I have different aspects of it that I really want to obtain, but. I don't know, like, I just, like, the biggest, my biggest, biggest dream, in addition to having, like, Lux here in West Africa, like I said, the whole reason that I started, the whole reason why I I have so much strength and I know that nobody can take me down is because I'm a Haitian, number one. I know I come from, that's a fact. Haitian history is Black history. I don't care. Everybody needs to hear it. If you understand the story of Haiti, you will understand as a Black person, whether you're from Africa, because that's exactly where they took those slaves from, or anywhere in the Caribbean, that you are capable of anything. I know nobody can take me down. And, um, you know, I'm doing something in West Africa for the moment right now, but I want to unite the Caribbean and Africa, because even, not only is it African-Americans, The diaspora in Africa in general, we still have a lot to learn about each other. So my dream would hopefully be one day to take West Africans and take them into a place like Haiti. I actually met a few Ghanaians who actually been to Haiti, which is actually really cool. (laughs) But um, in like tour groups, you know, and even places, even other different Caribbean islands, because even as I speak to them, I see that they don't really have too much of a knowledge of the. The Caribbean, but even the Caribbean doesn't have too much of a knowledge of them. And we just we need to start having these these travel experiences and start to know each other. And I feel like that's where we will we'll start to have more love and growth and not stop seeing that rubbish diaspora wars on TikTok, please. So yeah, that's one of my big dreams. So yeah.
2: You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Fuccio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com.